0: Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 60 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, author, media and PR coach, copywriter, editor and proofreader, and founder of Vegan Business Media, a content, events and training platform providing success tips for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. In this episode, I interview Kayla Mackey and Dave Pittman from Unicorn Goods, whose tagline is the world's largest vegan store in Rhode Island, New England. The couple have run several social enterprises, including Nashville's culture magazine Native and Taco Bike, a certified organic restaurant. They started Unicorn Goods, an online store, in November 2014, offering a large range of vegan goods across a number of categories using an affiliate model. CEO Kayla oversees the overall vision and strategy of the company, while CCO Dave, a former creative director of advertising company Young & Rubicum, oversees the creative vision of the brand. Dave is an industrial designer focusing on vegan manufacturing and animal-free design at the Rhode Island School of Design. In this interview, Kayla and Dave talk about why they chose to use an affiliate model for the business and the pros and cons of this approach. Why they made the company a public benefit corporation. How collaboration and community building, including the creation of their brand ambassador program, the Unicorn Squad, has contributed to the success of the business. How using interns and volunteers in an ethical win-win scenario can be an affordable way to build your business. The benefits of being a PETA-approved business the key questions to ask yourself when considering starting a business, and much more. Here's the interview with Kayla Mackey and Dave Pittman of Unicorn Goods. Hello, Kayla and Dave. Thank you very much for joining me today. Hello, it's great to be here. It's great to be here. Thanks for having us. Now, very uh, excited and looking forward to hearing about your your new business because there's some quite innovative and interesting things about it. So we're going to dig into that in a little bit. But first of all, um, the question I always kick off with with everyone um, because I love hearing these answers because we're all like mission-driven entrepreneurs is what's your reasons for running Unicorn? What's your why?
1: So... For both myself and Dave, we're, we're both vegan, and we wanted to start something that was in line with our values, but also made being vegan easier, and that's really the driving force behind what we do. We believe that if it's easier to make ethical choices, and if it's easier to be a vegan, that more people will make those decisions, and the world will be a better place
0: fantastic i can totally relate to that it's like kind of business as active as a form of activism um because you're absolutely right we do need to make it um as easy as possible so that that's great fantastic tell us the story about the uh the brand's name why unicorn goods (laughs) (laughs) well it's a great um, name it's lovely i'm just curious how you came to choose
2: it yeah well so i think um on some level uh well, there, there are a few answers to this. Um, one is, is in, in part, uh, that Kayla has always loved unicorns, uh, just as, as a symbol. I mean, I'd say they're her favorite animal, probably her totem. Um, and uh, so I think we decided that whatever we did next, it, it, it must involve unicorns. Um, and so whenever we uh, went down the path with this, uh, we had another name originally um, that we had to change for uh, trademark reasons. Um, and then we decided, Hey, you love unicorns. Um, you've always loved unicorns. Maybe we should call it unicorn goods. Um, but then the thing that I think I would add to that is that there was this nice fit with, uh, the difficulty that we were having finding these vegan products. Uh, you know, we sort of heard that they existed. We knew that they were out there. Um, but you know, they were often very, very difficult to find. So we sort of decided, well, these products are really sort of unicorn products and oh, we want nice. to make it find them. Uh, <laughs> So that's that's kind of uh, another uh, maybe um, more direct answer.
0: Fantastic. I love that. I love hearing the stories behind how people come up with their um, brand names, because it's all very different. You know, like some people take it very, very seriously and, you know, spend a kind of hours brainstorming and others are kind of like, oh, I'll just name it after my house or something. Else. So right, it's right, great to, right. to hear that. That's fantastic. Thank well, you for sharing I,
2: that. Sorry, and I would add to that that um, I think the, the sort of secret reason, the third reason is... Um, that there was something kind of bad about it. There was something that kind of didn't sound quite right uh, when you say it. Uh, And I think, um, you know, my background is advertising. And there's something about that that I believe makes uh, names more memorable or sort of stickier. Um, so there was something appealing about the badness of the name.
0: Got it, got it, okay. (laughs) Sweet, so tell us a little bit about starting up, some of the challenges. So when you first started out, because I think the company's been going just over two years or so now, what were some of your key challenges when you first started up the business?
1: So as a startup, we didn't have any investment initially, so we're entirely self-funded and we bootstrapped the company from the ground up. This is our sixth business together. So sixth or seventh. Sixth or seventh. We <laughs> did a couple of different things. So we were familiar with the struggles of starting a business on virtually no budget. Um, I think that that, you know, is an ongoing struggle. We, as a technology platform, we continue to keep our costs really, really low. And I think initially in addition to funding, uh, neither of us had really worked with a tech heavy company like this before. And that's, that continues to be a learning curve, especially for me. So, uh, I work on the day-to-day operations and management of the business. And for example, I'm teaching myself how to program so that I can update our code so that I know the platform better Um, Every day we're learning something new. We just implemented Salesforce, which is a software system for client management. We're just constantly learning how to run the operations. And I think the third thing that was a struggle for us in the first year especially was branding. Dave talked a little bit before about how we decided on the name Unicorn Goods. Uh, You know, before that we had you know, a a more generic name. We weren't necessarily specifically vegan focused in our mission. We were kind of more broadly ethical. And what I love specifically in your book is you spend a whole section talking about using the word vegan or not and the importance of names. And we really thought a lot about um, what we wanted to be as a company. You know, are we trying to convince non-vegans to buy vegan products you know are we trying to trick them into buying vegan products <laughs> or are we addressing a, a pain point you know what's our value proposition and we decided that uh the problem we're solving is vegans have a hard time buying things in line with their ethics and so we made a really deliberate choice to bring vegan on to the home page of our site and we wanted to have a brand that really made made the issue of ethical shopping especially for vegans fun and more approachable so that shopping became less of a headache and more of a, a pleasure Fantastic. I think those are the three the three biggest things
0: got it got it I love that way you say you know you're, you're continuing to learn and like when you first said oh and I'm learning to program I was thinking what <laughs> But I, that, but I get where you're coming from. It's like, particularly in the beginning, it's good to at least have a base. I mean, I don't know about programming. That, that kind of seems quite advanced. But, you know, just to kind of know like a bit of coding, like you say, in the beginning, just so that you have some kind of understanding of the platform um, and, that, and of your whole business of the different operations of your business so that, you know, when you do get to then expand and hire someone, you know what I mean? You kind of just know a little bit more about it. So I can certainly relate to that. I mean, I, I'm certainly not a tech person by any means. But do you know what I mean? I can obviously put my own blog posts up and I learn little teensy little bits as you go along. So I think that's really, really great that you've um, you've done that. Now, you've set up as a public benefit corporation. Um, Tell us a bit about that and why you did that.
1: Sure. So as a social business, we're very much mission driven. Uh, We both were involved in social enterprises before and I I have a very strong background in social enterprise as a field. So we knew about the public benefit corporation filing, um, as well as B Corp, the independent organization that does a third-party certification. So when we looked into incorporating, we you know, it wasn't really even a choice. We kind of said, of course, we're going to file as a public benefit corporation. As we think about growing, you know, we're still a small company, but as we think about how big we'd like to be. We wanted to start off with a filing that accommodated growth and made sure that if we did bring on investors or scale in a way that is bigger than what we're doing now, that we maintained the ability to let our mission drive our decisions. And so being a public benefit corporation allows us to have the ability to make decisions based on our mission that might not be... um, you know, the most financially advantageous decision, it allows for the people running the company to balance mission with profits. Um, Whereas if we were just a normal corporation, we did for example, go public and have shareholders, our sole obligation legally would be to maximize profits.
0: Oh, the right. That makes such good sense. I'm really glad you brought that up because, you know, you're right. And I know for certainly from some other vegan business owners that I've interviewed and some of them have been very much about, no, I, I don't want to, um, you know, give up any shares in my company precisely for those kind of reasons because you could be forced into going down or doing something that you may not be in line with your ethics. So that would basically mean then that anyone who decides decided to come on as an investor or if like you say if you went public it would legally you've got those things in place around the the social aspects of it and so your ethics are kind of solidified in a way which is is really cool oh that's that's fantastic so in terms of how the store itself operates, so am I right in thinking that you don't actually keep any stock or ship it? You are, you're a listing like catalog site and you've got affiliate arrangements in place. So people click through to a third party site to purchase and you get a percentage of that sale. Is that right?
2: Uh, yes, it is. Um, and yeah. And, and um, we, uh, we sort of explored some other options uh, in the process, but but found that that was pro- given that we were starting with very little capital, uh, that sort of seemed to make the most sense. Especially because the problem that we were trying to solve was, you know, making it easier for, uh, you know, current vegans to find products that were in line with their ethics, but also to make it easier for non-vegans to find vegan products. You know, if they sort of became curious or interested in this issue, uh, we wanted to make it as easy as possible to to find that stuff. Uh, and then I think also as, as a as a sort of additional uh, angle and all of this, um, a big part of what we're trying to do is, is present veganism as a very mainstream sort of quote unquote normal thing. Um, so we, we'd like, you know, for people who think of vegan as, uh, you know, a a hippie sort of, you know, all the, all the sort of stereotypes of of vegans, uh, we wanted to challenge those stereotypes and try to reframe it as something that, uh, people who don't otherwise think of themselves as being, um, you know, particularly sort of alternative Uh, could still sort of find uh, valuable. Um, And and so with that, uh, that meant finding a huge volume of products and finding a a huge range of uh, of vendors. Um, And the affiliate model made it, that was sort of the easiest approach for us to have yeah. as many products and as many vendors on the site as possible
0: yeah no it's um, clever it's yeah. a very clever model and i say I, I actually found i was quite pleased i had a little look you know so i was clicking through um yesterday sure. and you know and i found like glitter sneakers and i was like oh that's very cool so i think you're succeeding right. in that it, you, you are you know you have like you say you have got a really good range of different types of vegan products that maybe you yeah you wouldn't necessarily find in other places so that that's fantastic and that's a smart model as well like you say you know if you haven't got it really keeps your costs. Uh, you know, not having to, uh, you know, keep goods and and ship them and what have you. So that that's clever. So what are the challenges in? Because we talked about the benefits in that model, which is fantastic. Are there any challenges involved in this affiliate model?
2: Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, uh, I think you know one of the biggest challenges is that uh, if if somebody really wanted to to spend years of their life uh, or or a ton of money, they could easily build exactly what we've built. Um, because I think what we're building is is really a network. We're building a community of of other vegan businesses or ma- or sort of mainstream businesses that are uh, either accidentally or deliberately sort of making vegan products. Um, and so in the process of that community building, you know that's really uh, a ton of work, but it means that it inherently um, our product is sort of uh, is is more replicable than if it, if say we were building smartphones or something. Um, and, and I think that if we were doing a traditional retail model, um, you know, we would be making much larger margins and we could do a lower volume. Uh, so, you know, th- this affiliate approach really means that, uh, there are some risks that we face. I think, um, uh, you know, they would, they that would work against uh, a, a business like ours, I guess. Got it. Uh, and then so that's not incredibly eloquent, but, uh.
0: No, I understand. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I understand where you're coming from. No, that's cool. So in terms of your team, then, do you uh, how many employees, if any, do you have? Or is it just the two of you? Or how does that work?
1: So we have a team of about seven people who volunteer their time to work on the platform. Uh, this involves, you know, interns and people who did intern with us who we asked to stay on board and have a little more responsibility. Um, and then, I am running the site full time and Dave is in actually in grad school right now getting his degree in industrial design with a focus on vegan manufacturing. Oh, cool. So he, he is uh, very involved in sort of the vision and branding and any creative output we, we generate. But right now we have anywhere at any time between seven and 10 people. And we also have a brand ambassador program and sort of an extended network of of supporters and bloggers. Um, yeah. Fantastic. So we do a lot of yeah. community building. We have a unicorn squad. And then we yeah. have people. Yeah, so I was going to ask team. you about that. I just want to acknowledge
0: that, that that's interesting that you use interns, which is quite good, because obviously they presumably get work experience and are mentored by you. So it's a, um, like a, you know, a, a good sort of exchange of, of skills.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we wouldn't be where we are without people who cared about these issues working with us. So whenever we find someone who really gets the problem that we're addressing and wants to start a career in, you know, vegan business or in the ethical product space, I really see that as an opportunity to help them get started in this area. It's really difficult, especially as a, a young college graduate or a young professional, to enter this space because it's it's a very tight network of people that's dispersed around the world, but you can't necessarily go to the door of these businesses and peddle your resume. So we we really look for people who care a lot about what we're doing.
0: Oh, I like that. I think that's really good for people to, to know that, you know, if they can't maybe afford to take on paid staff in the beginning, that there are ways of doing it that, you know, are not taking advantage of young people, but giving them an opportunity and in return, like you say, you helping them and facilitating them. So I, I like that. That's great. So tell us about the Unicorn Squad. <laughs> I love that name. It's great. I've got these images of like these kind of people with, you know, like look kind of like unicorns on this mission. So <laughs> tell us a bit about that.
1: Oh, good. I'm glad that you get that. (laughs) So Unicorn Squad was created by um, our team members collaborating, but specifically Casey Traverse, who's now a team member with us. She really headed up the design and implementation of this program. And it's, it's a fantastic thing that we recently launched. So right now we have eight Unicorn Squad members from around the world, and this is our brand ambassador program. So we started searching uh, about a year and a half ago for people who had strong social media followings or blogs that embodied our ethos as a brand and represented the type of, of basically change that we were trying to create in the world. What we did is we reached out to them, we asked them if they were interested in collaborating with us, and we invited them to be a part of our website. And the benefits that they get from being affiliated with us is they get access to product offers for our brands, and then they also get an extended platform for their voice. Anytime they blog about something or mention uh, us in a way that's relevant to our users, we try to give them attention and repost those posts. We offer them, you know, personal development opportunities, and we try to give them as much support as possible to be a strong voice for change, especially in the vegan space. And this is also really great for our brands too. It's kind of a win-win. We tell our brands that we're an extension of their, of their marketing department basically. We're sort of an external marketing and advertising component of the businesses we work with. And one of the things we heard from brands is that they really wish that they had more PR and outreach and that they could get their products into the hands of more people so that they could get feedback and also spread, you know, the word um, about what they're doing. And this was a way for us to help them do that.
0: Fantastic. Now, when you say that the Unicorn Squad get like special offers from brands, does that mean like a brand might send them like a freebie to review or something or they get discounts if they want to buy something?
1: Absolutely. So we work with our brands to ask them if they'd like to offer products for review to Unicorn Squad members. And then when we do have a product that's on offer, we ask which squad members are interested and we send it to them for review and then we promote uh, their review or their mentions of the product themselves. So the brands win because they get their products into the hands of real people. And then our squad members win because they get to experience, you know, firsthand products that we feel like are really strong representations of what vegan products can be. So altogether our unicorn squad, social media influence, uh, reaches more than half a million people internationally. Um, so it's sort of a testament to what we're trying to do with the company in general, which is to pool support for vegan mm-hmm. products and to maximize impact by compiling everything in sure. one place. So do they
0: get any financial advantage, the unicorns? or is it mainly that they're kind of extending their social
1: reach? Uh, are you asking if we pay them? Yeah. Like, or do they get, because
0: I know obviously you get the affiliate payment and like, and then if they had say a direct relationship, an affiliate relationship with a particular brand, they would obviously get that affiliate commission. So I'm just curious as to whether they get any kind of, uh, yeah, financial um, benefit as well as um, obviously raising their profile.
1: Sure. So they, we actually aren't paying them in any way. So they don't get an affiliate commission or, uh, you know, they're not financially reimbursed in any way for, um, promoting products more than they would otherwise, that's kind of on them. It's up to them. A lot of our squad members are trying to, uh, you know, grow their own brands, their own personal brand as a vegan spokesperson. So the main reason that they work with us is to get connections to brands that they otherwise wouldn't have access to. And we make those connections, but we are, yeah, we don't, we don't offer, you know, pay in any way this is more of a it's more of like a club or a society or support group for um, these really amazing coincidentally all young women right now who are trying to do good things but might have barriers to actually interacting with brands that are trying to reach them as well
0: Cool, cool. That's great. All right, fantastic. Let's talk a little bit about, and i put it in quote marks, competition. So obviously now there's a lot of, quite a diverse range of online stores selling um, vegan goods. Um, Now some have been around for a, a long, long time and as there's new ones popping up. So how do you go about standing out both within and outside the vegan business arena and constantly attracting customers?
2: Uh, yeah, so I mean, I think um, there are a few things going on there. Um, I mean, I think some of it has to do with with our uh, approach to marketing on social media, um, and then I think some of it has to do with uh, just the way that we've designed the company and the brand. Um, you know, so our offering is really unique in in its scale and and also in its focus. So, um, you know, we we like the idea of someone being able to find us through uh, various channels, like let's say social media, um, and then ending up on our site and then realizing that they can find just about anything that they would ever want uh, and know that it's all vegan. Um, Because I think, you know, as vegans, we all understand uh, the struggle of trying to determine whether or not something is vegan uh, when (laughs) when buying a product. I mean, just just (laughs) infinite label reading and emailing, customer service, um, and all that. So... um, So uh, we're trying to make that, uh, you know, much simpler. And I think the competition that's out there is either much smaller uh, or much less focused. Um, And so in both cases, I, I think that, you know, that's a different experience for customers.
0: Got it. So I was going to ask you about, you know, the whole concept of, uh, you know, instead of thinking about competitors, think about collaborators. And I know you obviously you're doing some collaboration with your unicorn squad and with your brands. What about any what are your thoughts on that kind of concept of, oh, don't think of anyone as a a competitor, but as a collaborator?
2: Yeah, no, I think we absolutely believe in that. Uh, You know, we started this because we saw a problem that I mean, really a problem that we were experiencing um, and no one else was really addressing it in the way that we thought it should be addressed. Um, but at the same time, I mean, we, we uh, quite literally, honestly, uh, love, you know, all the other businesses that are trying to solve the same problem that we're trying to solve. Um, and I, I really think it's, it's a case where um, you really couldn't have too many people working on this issue. Um, you know, so for us, I mean, everything that we do is really mission driven um, and is really driven by, I mean, our very personal ethics, um so for us you know uh, I think it's great when other people are doing it with past businesses that we've done uh that were also sort of mission driven uh we've always said that that you know other people in the space uh might be uh, addressing the same problem in different ways and and that we weren't against that at all uh and and we've seen growth even when our competitors grew uh so we don't see any problem with with having you know other so-called competitors in the space
0: Got it, got it. Now, I know that you state in one of your your unique selling points is that you have the world's largest range of vegan goods. That's quite a bold claim. (laughs) How did you go about making sure that that was correct like did you literally kind of go and count <laughs> how many products other other online stores had how did that how did that come uh, out it's
2: a little embarrassing but yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah and perhaps it was a waste of time but we have actually counted um and, and the way that we've uh, we've calculated it we are actually um uh by far the biggest uh, vegan-only store out
0: there. By a factor cool. of about five. Yeah. Wow. So, nice, nice. I was curious, and then I dug into how your model, I'm like, okay, yeah, that's fair enough. No, that's cool, and I appreciate your honesty. I would have probably done the same thing, you know, in order to make a claim like that. It's like you've done your due diligence. That's fair enough, you know, so I, I think that's, that's cool. Thanks for sharing that. <laughs>
1: absolutely, absolutely. And if someone out there listening has a bigger store, you know, A, I challenge that, and, and B, feel free She's to, to down let the us golden. know. <laughs> well,
2: and I, I think this, this actually ties back into what, what we were just talking about a second ago, where, you know, ultimately, we would love to become irrelevant. Um, you know, I, I think the problem that we're trying to solve is is we are trying to end animal suffering sort of at the hands of humans, uh, you know, to to be made into products and to be made into food. And so, if humans stop consuming animals, you know that would be a great thing. But it would also mean that that we would no longer be relevant as a business. And I think that's fine.
1: Yeah, uh, that's, yes, that's 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 the goal. That's the dream. Like, I think it's really important that vegan business owners keep you know that in mind. Like, if you're working in the social impact space or as a nonprofit, the goal is to make yourself well irre- irrelevant. I exactly, can personally yeah. say. That would be a big relief. I could, I could do something Our lives would be else. a lot easier. Yeah, my, our lives would be a lot easier. <laughs> it's
0: true. It is true. That's what I love about vegan business owners is that, you know, we are on that mission and that we're probably the only group, well, not necessarily the only group, you know, ethicals, but, you know, eth- I think eth- genuinely ethical, mission-driven entrepreneurs, we're the only kind of types of business owners and entrepreneurs that actually do want to make ourselves redundant. Um, which right. I think is is pretty cool so that, that's awesome. now you guys you're also you've become a, a peter approved vendor. Why did you decide to go for that certification and uh, what did it entail to get approved?
1: So that is something that we did within a month of starting the first iteration of the company, which is basically a blog. so um, you know we didn't really share the initial story of how we started but um, about three years ago, I decided to not buy any clothing that contained animal products. And I was vegetarian at the time. I think I had Googled wool and had realized that even as a vegetarian, it was very hypocritical for me to wear wool and that it actually was doing a lot of harm to the animal. And then I started to make the connection between dairy and decided to apply my food ethics to my clothing. And it took me six months to find a pair of shoes. So it was it was extremely difficult. And one of the reasons is that there are very um, you know a lot of companies don't even know what their products are made of and then there's not a lot of transparency around some materials in products, especially when it comes to clothing. With food you have you have to legally list ingredients. So you can shop vegan food pretty easily. But with clothing you know, I, I could order something that says it's synthetic and then get it in the mail and it's actually made from calf leather and the company didn't even know. Uh, so within a month of blogging about this, we, and we decided to sort of become a company. We said, one of the ways that we can be as transparent as possible is by showing that in a very direct way through a certification. And we reached out to PETA and it was a very easy process. It's, um, it's a wonderful resource, and they, they make it very easy for companies like us to understand what the standards are, and then they give us a mark so that we can articulate what we're doing in a visual way to people. Uh, so I would, I would highly recommend it for anyone, and we've actually led several of our brands to become certified as well.
0: Oh, fantastic.
1: So the benefits that
0: you get are that consumers recognize it and they can be comfortable and more likely to buy through your company.
1: Yeah, and we also, you know, it's a great way to start a relationship with an organization that has ethics that we want to support. Uh, we, We, you know, work with PETA's corporate relations department you know, on a pretty regular basis, and we we would like to direct more companies to work with them and to increase the the visibility of vegan certifications in general. It's especially important for larger companies to look at that as a a value added for their customers the same way that the organic certification makes organic shopping easier for food for people who are interested in things like that. Got it.
0: And did PETA promote you to
1: their membership? Yeah, they they did. So we're listed, you know, as a PETA proof vendor, we're listed in a list on their website for the U.S. branch of PETA. And then we also work with them to publish content on their blog um, in ways that support the visibility of specifically vegan fashion and vegan clothing
0: fantastic wonderful wonderful so that leads us nicely into the kind of um talking a little bit about marketing and pr because that in itself is a, a really quite a cool way to team up with a nonprofit organization to uh, you know that's a win-win for everybody so what have been some of the marketing strategies you've used to um yeah grow the unicorn
2: um yeah so i mean it's funny i think in in some ways um the things that we've done might not even be considered marketing strategies Um, (laughs) but but we'll call it that for a second. Just, uh, I'll I'll pretend that, um, that our work is, is, um, like that. I mean, you know, I think, um, you know, in, in bootstrapping, um, we've had to figure out, you know, how we can promote the company, uh, without really spending much money, um, uh, you know, without spending much money at all. Um, and so I think a lot of that has been, you know, you know we've, we've grown in a very, very organic way, and that's largely through um, social media, you know, using the the sort of free channels that exist out there, um, but also thinking about how we can get our uh, name out there through organizations like PETA. Um, pretty early on, we, we partnered with um, The Dodo, which I don't know if you're familiar with.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: So, yeah so, yeah, so we, we met them uh, pretty early on, and uh, they liked what we were doing, and, you know, said that that they weren't big on promoting the, the sort of vegan, you know, using the vegan word because of, uh, you know, it being sort of controversial uh, or, or perceived as controversial, uh, but that they totally bought into our mission and, and, and wanted to help us uh, with that. And, you know, a number of other sort of animal and, and vegan-oriented, uh, you know, online publications, things like that. Um, Kayla also uh, is a pretty avid writer, um, she's been published a ton all over the place on, on all kinds of stuff. And and so uh, it made sense for her to get out there and, and publish a lot of articles about uh, about vegan wardrobes, vegan, vegan clothing, sort of how to, you know, uh, lead a, a, a more vegan lifestyle, you know, through consumption of, of uh, say, vegan, cruelty-free cosmetics, or pointing out that vegan and cruelty-free aren't the same thing, uh, you know, doing yes. all those kinds of things. And so we, we've also seen a lot of traffic from uh you know linked articles and and essentially pr um yeah and then and then also sorry uh in-person events too we we go to a lot of events uh where we promote um just in person you know just handing out uh little cards with our website on them uh things like that so uh circle v festival in los angeles uh
0: Oh, yeah. yes. I heard about yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> it. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And then uh, the New York Vegetarian Food Festival and then a, a number of other sort of uh, vegetarian and vegan food festivals, uh, which, you know, really are just sort of vegetarian and vegan lifestyle festivals, but they still call them food festivals.
0: Got yeah. it, got it. And it's funny you say that that's not, because I'm only hearing it, that's obviously kind of it's social media marketing and this new thing or relatively new thing called content marketing, which you've been doing kind of organically. And it's interesting how, and you would probably you know know this, uh, Dave, having come from an advertising background, how you know the whole concept of kind of marketing has changed over the years from what we consider to be, quote, traditional marketing. It's now becoming kind of quite sophisticated and, and innovative in a way. So uh, I love that you've, you've shared those strategies which like you say are really kind of apart from maybe you know paying to hire a booth at a festival or a store um, you know relatively low cost ways to market and get yourself out there and uh, which is
1: great yeah and definitely on social media I mean I can't give enough credit to our team member Julia Morsey who manages our Facebook page um, and then Sarah Campbell who manages our Instagram page these two people specifically have really Taken a lot of initiative and and developed our voice and our presence, and they've also helped us define what we stand for as a company. And um, also Audrey Finocchiaro, who uh, was previously with us and managed the uh, sort of infancy of our social media. But we, I mean, we're only as strong as the people who work with us, and uh, we we've never outsourced our. You know, specifically our social media and our email newsletters, those are all done by people who we have really strong relationships with who care a lot about what we're doing and who are willing to take risks and make mistakes and learn from them and use this as like a good next step in their career, I would say.
0: Got it. Got it. Now, we touched on this a little bit earlier about the use of the word vegan in your marketing and branding materials. Um, and everybody's got, like you say, there's a whole chapter in the book about it. And, it, you know, I ask everybody this on the podcast and I get so many different <laughs> answers depending on the kind of business they're in. So um, just um, talk us through that a little bit again, because like, I know you mentioned like you worked with the working with the Dodo, which for anyone who who doesn't know what that is, it's a, a site that's all about animals. So they share lots of generally uplifting and positive stories about animals, animal rescue. Um, And it's interesting that you say that they didn't really want to kind of use the word vegan. So but you were still able to work with them, even though you're a vegan company. So just talk us a little bit through about uh, the prominence or how you use or otherwise the the word vegan.
1: Yeah. And I want to let Dave answer this because he is this is something we continue to talk about. But Dave's definitely the person driving our marketing and advertising decisions he's worked with. Uh, Bob Asherwood, who's a former creative director of Saatchi and Sachi, and he's worked with clients like the Red Cross and the UN. So he's really before Unicorn Goods has honed a lot of his thoughts on marketing and advertising from working with some of the world's biggest cause-related businesses. So the, I, I love that cool. section of your book because it felt like I was having a conversation with Dave it's really great that we're all thinking about this as vegan business owners, but it's, you know, it's something that we feel strongly about and there are a lot of people who disagree with us. So, I mean, what, what do you cool. think? Cool. Yeah. No, Over to you, Dave. Yeah, well, uh, no, so I,
2: I mean, I think for, for me, um, and I, I think for us, um, it was really, you know, planting a flag. Uh, it was sort of, I, I think like a declaration, um, <laughs> You know, we've, we've talked about it a lot. Um, and I think in the end, we sort of always land on we shouldn't shy away from being vegan uh, because we're trying to normalize being vegan. And if we sort of join the I don't want to say the trend, but if we join the other people who are sort of embarrassed by uh, being vegan, then we're sort of reinforcing the idea that it's something that we should be ashamed of or something that's abnormal or something that other people you know, can't get behind. Uh, that, that they would be sacrificing socially or something like that. So we want to really challenge that norm. Um, and so for us, it, it's, it's critical to have the word vegan, you know, next to, to images and products that people sort of associate with mainstream fashion and mainstream sort of, uh, you know, a, like a, a sort of mainstream lifestyle. Um, and I use mainstream very loosely there just to mean uh, sort of what people uh, associate with sort of the majority Um, If that makes sense.
0: Oh, absolutely! And I'm glad you you raised that because it, something like that happened just this week. So at the moment, they, over here in Sydney, Australia, it's Mardi Gras time. So the Sydney Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras has a huge parade, and they've partnered with Meat and Livestock Australia, and it's they're having this horrible float where they're dancing around um, called the Lamb Dance, you know, and celebrating eating lambs. So anyway, my, I and another person got this petition going, and people started, you know, obviously commenting on social media, and it was interesting because one person said, "Oh, but you know, what are we?" going to do if everything's vegan you know who's going to make our dancing shoes you know what would they be made of onion skin and it was so funny and I just kind of commented to say you know hey actually you know there's these really cool um you know like bio developments in biotech and you know amazing alternatives to leather and you can have glitter and you know sparkle and everything and I think I think that really kind of went to show that we still have to get over these stereotypes that you know as vegans we just kind of you know wander around in canvas slippers um, and so I, I like the fact that you're doing it. When we associate vegan with, you know, for me, sparkle and bling, or you know, stylish and fabulous, it's really important. So I'm I'm glad that you shared that because that that really um yeah just reminded me about that today. So that's fantastic. Um, so tell us a little bit. So you've obviously had some experience, uh, quite a bit of experience with running um, different social enterprises. For people who are listening today, and you know, perhaps they're just you know they've got a job, they're working the sort of nine to five but they would really love to run and start an ethical and a vegan business what advice would you give them before making that jump
1: um that is a really good question and I love this section and in in all of the interviews that I've listened to yours and otherwise because they're always so different I think that you know I would say having done this a few times now that you're never really ready, you never really know enough to, to feel completely ready. And so I think a lot of, a lot of starting a business is trusting yourself and asking the right questions. And for me, those questions are, is this something I really care about? Um, Is this something I could see myself doing for the next 10 years? And is this something I'm willing to sacrifice Almost everything else in my life. For I mean, it really has to take a priority above everything else. Otherwise, it will never it will never really happen. I think the biggest thing that entrepreneurs can do is to decide decide that you're going to do something and then just work toward that end. Um, it's really difficult to keep working on something every day if you have to wake up and convince yourself to work on it. Uh, you know, after having been a serial social entrepreneur and and making a lot of mistakes, I've realized that the business is only as strong as I am mentally. It is a mental game in a lot of ways. And um, I don't know, Dave, do you have anything to add to that?
2: Yeah, well, no, and I, I would just throw in there that, that, you know, Kayla and I have this concept that we, that we throw around a lot that we call punk entrepreneurship. Um, and I think you know the less Punk
0: entrepreneurship. Punk
2: entrepreneurship. <laughs> cool. Yeah, you know we, we like sort of the analogy of of punk bands or all the other sort of um, you know punk scenes uh, in you know within other forms of art and uh, culture uh, that have existed over the years. You know, sort of DIY movement. Um, you know, various di- different kinds of, of anarchist movements. Um, and and I think you know for us uh, a lot of of it is. It, since these businesses, these kinds of businesses are, you know, driven by values, they're driven by principles, uh, you know, way more than, than they're driven by profit. Um, that I think that they're unique in that way. Um, and what it means is that I think if somebody's really committed to the idea uh, of veganism, um, then, you know, that, that is a beautiful place to start. Uh, so then from there, if they have some idea of, of some business that they think they can make happen, um, I think in contrast to a lot of the other startups out there, I mean, non-vegan sort of mainstream startups, you know, apps and things like that, a lot of times there's an idea and then a founder goes around looking for money, sometimes for years trying to figure out, you know, how am I just going to build the first iteration of this thing? And I think that if you go into it with, you know, I'm a vegan, I'm, I'm really obsessed with this issue and, and trying to make an impact, uh, you know, on the issue. Um, and I have this idea, but it would require a million dollars. But if they stop and think, Oh well, actually, maybe I can do it in this way. And if they can really like design it in a way that they can do it without uh, a lot of capital, um, then you know, by looking at the scale, by looking at the the sort of personnel requirements, um, by looking at the actual business model, um, they can find ways to actually do things for a lot less money. Um, which then I think allows uh, a lot more freedom uh, and also greatly increases their chance of of getting it off the ground. And they can sort of pursue that sort of if they think of themselves as like a punk band that's just trying to like get their demo heard or get their EP heard by uh you know by uh listeners that sometimes those bands get really, really big uh globally, but but you know they start in a garage somewhere. Um so I you know I, I would say uh you know don't let a lack of capital scare you. Just be smart about how you do it. Um and you know don't give up on your principles that that you know staying true to to your values, to your ethics, your principles can actually be, you know, help you see business opportunities that other people
0: might not see.
1: And I think you interviewed on the podcast, I believe there's an episode um, with the founders of Uptons. Is that you?
0: Oh, yes. Yeah, Nicole. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. Nicole and Dan. I think yeah. they
1: like completely embody this idea because they, you know, I think he had used his house as collateral. (laughs) And he's, you know, very strongly believes that he does not want to bring on investors. And they they committed from the very beginning to being self owned and small. And um, I know a lot of people, you know, will use credit cards, which is which is, you know, one way of doing things. But I think especially, you know, we're both in the startup space, a lot of our friends currently or in the past have worked for startups a lot of our friends own their own companies we're kind of in that world and there's this really weird thing that's happened in the startup world where getting funded has become you know equated to being successful and that's not the case getting funded means you got someone to loan you money and (laughs) making the business profitable and growing is successful and those are not the same thing and so I think it's... This, it's oh,
0: that's wonderful. Yeah. That's such good advice that's that you've said. There's so many good nuggets there.
1: I'm just going to touch on them just
0: to kind of yeah, highlight them. And one, I loved what you said, Kayla, about uh, you're never really ready. I think that's a really important one. And I don't want to generalize in gender, but I think that's certainly an issue that a lot of women struggle with because they're kind of like, oh, well, I don't know enough, therefore I, I can't launch yet, or I can't do this yet. Uh, so I love that you've touched on that. That there's always something to learn um, and to to kind of go for it. I think that was wonderful. And I love the analogy of the punk band, the punk entrepreneurship. Like, yeah, absolutely. Instead of just sitting around waiting for some someone to throw a bunch of money at you to, yeah, actually get out there and do something and I know also as well some investors that I've spoken to actually like people to have had some kind of experience and maybe even a failure because it shows that you know you've got skin in the game and that you're prepared to get in there and get stuck in rather than just kind of sitting back and say hey I've got a cool idea give me money so I think there's some really that was some fantastic advice there I, I really love that of course. Um, and yeah no that, that's that's great now you touched on interestingly the funding like that we, we were talking about and I know you've mentioned that with Unicorn um, to date, you've been self-funded, but are you, you're perhaps open to investors because you've set up with a public benefit corporation. Would that be fair to say?
1: I think that's that's fair to say that we're open if the right partner comes along, where we're committed to doing whatever it takes to make the idea work as effectively as possible. And if that means continuing to do what we've been doing for the last two years, that's fine. If there's an opportunity to have more of an impact in a way that makes sense from a sustainability perspective, that's what we'll do. What we won't do is is be short-sighted about financial gains and take on a partner that ends up hurting the company in the in the long run. We want to be around for a really long time. And so we're thinking in terms of decades, not in terms of years.
0: Awesome. Now what skills from your previous jobs and careers have been useful in running unicorn? I know obviously Dave um you very much strong background in advertising and marketing. So that's obviously a bonus. What about you, Kayla? Uh,
1: so Dave and I have started every business that we've done with very few exceptions together. Uh, When I graduated from college, our first company was a media company in Nashville that is still in existence and is in the family. It's been around for five years now. It's a monthly print magazine. And that, at least for me, and I I think for Dave as well, he can correct me if I'm wrong, but for me, it's where I learned a lot of uh, what I know today about business and how a business is run and how a business works together. And I, I started out as a, as a salesperson and I sold some of the first advertisements for the magazine to the point that it ended up actually becoming a financially successful company. So I learned from the ground up um, you know how important being financially sustainable is. Um, Uh, and that's a good lesson (laughs) yeah yeah and I learned how important it is to care about your clients and to actually meet a need in the community Um, and that's something we've definitely definitely carried into Unicorn Goods we also both started a um, this is when we were vegetarian but a vegetarian taco bike in Nashville that was the first certified organic restaurant in the south so going back to certifications like PETA approved Um, You know, obviously, we don't run that company anymore, partly because we're vegan. But we realized how important it was to um, go through a certification process and actually learn a lot about what we're doing before we start to sell to people. Um, At least for me, that's the I think those are some of the most formative experiences.
0: So you're really serial entrepreneur, so you've not actually been employed. Have you gone, like, literally from college straight to being an <laughs> entrepreneur? Yeah.
1: For, I wanted to wow. be unemployed when I graduated from college. <laughs> so yeah. well, I kind of failed <laughs> like, like, multiple times over. Uh, um, but Dave, Dave had it, you know. Well, yeah. yeah.
2: So, I mean, uh, straight out of college for me, I, I worked for a few years um, in the sort of, uh, well, you know, the cause-related um, marketing and communications uh, arena. Um and then uh after leaving the magazine uh that Kayla and I started together, um I went to work for like a, a big multinational ad agency that's based in New York. Um but I uh, I um opened an office for them in Nashville. And that was really for the reason that I got that job was was really building on the experience that I'd had uh straight out of college. Um which I just I was very lucky to um Kayla mentioned him, but I'll mention him again. Um uh, a really famous um, creative director who was the worldwide creative director of Sachi Sachi, who's actually Australian, um, uh, Bob Isherwood. Uh, really- oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. He, took, he yeah. took me under his wing uh, and literally worked with me face to face every day, taught me everything I know uh, about advertising, and that um, his lessons uh, continue uh, to help me every day. Um, so I really can't give credit I to love- him.
0: I love that and it's interesting you say that because um, I used to work for a magazine here called B&T which is a, a used to be a weekly print I think they may be online only now I'm not sure but it's basically a, a, an uh, industry magazine for the advertising and media mm. industries and I remember I used to have to as well as like sub-editing you know and checking it I used to have to write little news briefs and I remember I used to get so annoyed whenever I had to like write up a news story saying that like a lamb or a meat ad had won um, you know a, a prize or an award and I'd have to type it up. And, you know, there'll be all these like big companies involved. But what I like about what you've said is that you you took all that training and learning that you got from this big agency and now you're applying it in the ethical space, which I think is really important to, to express because I know I've seen some people like in vegan forums say, oh, I've just got my foot in the door at this advertising agency and one of their clients, you know, has a marine park and I'm feeling really conflicted. And, you know, people were people giving them advice and some people say, look, try and stick with it as much as you can, learn as much as you possibly can because then you can use those skills you know to do good so I, I like the fact that you're a, a wonderful example of that David. Well thank you yeah no and I actually
2: had winer um, uh, uh, the company that I worked for actually had Hillshire farms uh, and ballpark Franks among other sort of horrible uh, meat oriented companies um, but I was lucky that they never made me work on anything that I that I wanted to abstain from so
0: ah, that's good yeah was lucky was <laughs> lucky I think this poor young woman's having to work on SeaWorld uh, at the yeah. moment, so no, she's obviously that's... feeling very conflicted. Sure. But uh, but no, I love that you've, you've been able to take those and really yeah use them for good, which is fantastic. Um, so just final couple of questions now. And then what would you say have been the key lessons you've learned through running, well, not just Unicorn, but running your, your businesses to date? Uh,
1: that's a great question. I think that when I was younger as an entrepreneur, I thought that I needed to do everything myself and that the best entrepreneurs are totally self-reliant and, um, self-sufficient. And I realized from burning out multiple times (laughs) over, you know, I went through a series of, you know, really horrible years that I hope are behind me where I, I would do something very passionately and just burn out six months later and then I would crash and have to take a break and then I'd do something else really passionately and burn out. I realized that the best leaders um they rely on other people a lot and are very, very vulnerable and humble and uh are always learning and they're kind of living the lives of they're living the life of an amateur instead of the life of an expert. So I've tried to adopt that more. Another thing that I've learned is that mental health is way more important than I previously thought. I ignored what was going on inside my head, especially as an entrepreneur, for a really long time. And I think that led to burnout. So where I am right now, personally, this is getting really personal, I'm spending a lot more time um, really taking care of myself. Uh, especially for vegan entrepreneurs, this is something I really struggled with in the beginning and I thought it was going to prevent me from doing unicorn goods long-term. It's really difficult to work as a vegan entrepreneur because we not only wake up and have the struggles of running a business, but we have the emotional struggles of living in a really violent reality every day. And so being able to take an optimistic and um, being able to take an optimistic and and pro-human approach to at least the work that I do is is extremely important. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to get up and work every day.
0: Now, I love that you've shared that. I think that's really important for people to hear that because you're absolutely right, you know, and I'm similar to you. I tend to be a kind of all or nothing um, kind of person. So, sometimes, you know, I'll get into something and I'll just kind of go with it and go with it. And you're right, you get to a point where it's just not sustainable and you either, like you say, have to take a break and uh, and what have you. And Even just this week is a great example of that because what with this petition, I got end up getting really behind. So, I thought, oh, well, I'll just compromise on my sleep and catch up this weekend. So, I'm guilty of that sometimes. I think we all are. So, I think that's really, Important definitely to hear that yeah. because you can only you can only do that mission and help people help animals help the planet by being in it for the long haul and and making it sustainable. I think sometimes as well as people who come from activist backgrounds who are running businesses, we kind of feel like, we almost feel guilty for taking time out and enjoying ourselves. It's kind of like, oh, my gosh, I'm sitting here, you know, lazing about or doing this or that and the other. And, you know, there's people dying, there's animals being tortured. I I should be doing something else. And I think we have to kind of get over that and give ourselves permission to say, you know what, we have to do that, like you say, that mental health self-care in order to be effective over the long run.
1: Absolutely. So Absolutely. So and I, I think this that there are a lot, you know, many other very intelligent people who also agree with you. We connected with Peter Singer, who's one of the world's leading experts in ethics mm-hmm. and especially vegan ethics, and also Melanie Joy, who wrote the book Why We Love Dogs. Oh, yeah, I know Melanie. Like yeah, yeah, they're, they're both do. great. But, you know, we got to, to speak with them and connect with them mostly because we wanted to know – how they how they did their work every day (laughs) and we literally asked them like how do you keep writing about this this topic and you know how do you how can you bear to do this as a as a career and both of them said very similar things which is you once you've exposed yourself to reality and made a decision to change you don't need to keep re-exposing yourself you just need to move forward and um, I don't, don't know if Dave yeah would have anything well no, and I would that. say that
2: yeah, Peter singer also added to that 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 he felt that his work was incredibly important uh, you know to to the lives of others um, and that even though it was painful for him to do some days, um, that you know it ultimately gave his life a lot of meaning um, and and really enriched his life in ways that not doing the work uh, uh, wouldn't. I'm sorry for the the negatives there. Um, I'm not sure if I got that right, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: No, I yeah but yeah, saying.
2: so he, he felt that was really important. Um, and, and, and if it, it's okay to add, um, I just I, I had a couple other little things, um, that that have uh, hit me over the last decade. Um, and, and I would second Kayla's point that other people are incredibly important and you can't go it alone. Um, sleep, food, and exercise are also, important. <laughs> and and often the first things to go when you start a business. Um, but you you just have to find time, uh, to you know give your body and your mind what it needs. Um, I think also thinking long term uh, and thinking sort of in a big picture way and not thinking about, you know, how to make something successful immediately. Um, and then I think one of the one of the big things for me, too, is is not really chasing success, um, but actually by in some cases even trying to fail, uh, you can actually succeed. And, and if you try to fail uh, and you fail, then you succeed. And if you try to fail and and you succeed, well then you just succeeded. So you sort of can't lose. Oh, that's
0: fabulous. I yeah. love that. Yeah. I, just, I love well, and that. So I, got to, I we should make we should make that a meme. Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, I, have, <laughs> I have to give a little bit of credit there too. um so so that's sort of one of one of Bob Isherwood's big things. Um and he got it from Malcolm McLaren who sort of created the Sex Pistols. Oh. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it ultimately it it has its uh its genesis in in punk rock. Um but but I think sure. it's a really important point that Um, if if you're doing something that you love and that you care about, you'll probably get good at it. Um, and as long as you're not trying, if you're not too self-conscious and not trying too hard to succeed, then your chances of success are much, much greater.
0: I love that. Absolutely love that. I think that's a perfect um, note to end on. That's brilliant. Um, You've both been amazing. I've really enjoyed our interview today. You've shared so many um, fantastic nuggets of wisdom. Um, Some of those have certainly resonated with me and I'm sure they will with our our listeners. So um, really appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing your, your experience and your expertise. Kayla and Dave,
1: thank you for joining me. Thank you very much.
2: Yeah, thank you so much.
0: So that was Kayla Mackey and Dave Pittman from Unicorn Goods. You can find out more at unicorngoods.com. And that link is on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts and going to episode 60. Now for our vegan business news roundup. A new monthly vegan market showcasing plant-based goods in London, UK has been announced. The Hackney Downs Vegan Market in the city's East End is a collaboration between popular blogger Sean O'Callaghan, also known as Fat Gay Vegan, and Hackney Downs Studios' Eat Work Art Project. From the 18th of March this year, that's 2017 if you're listening in the future, it will be held every third Saturday from 11am to 5pm at Hackney Downs Studios on Amherst Terrace. Now what's particularly progressive about this project is that Fat Gay Vegan has committed to ensuring that 75% of stallholders he's responsible for curating go to people often overlooked at mainstream vegan events such as black and minority ethnic, women, LGBTQ and those with disabilities. Regular well-known traders will feature alongside visiting stallholders, with the rest of the stalls going to resident artists and manufacturers located within Hackney Down Studios. What a fantastic collaboration, and I'm really loving the intersectional approach that Sean is taking with this project to give prominence to business owners from all walks of life, particularly from marginalised communities. To keep up to date with the market and inquire about hiring a stall, you can head over to the Facebook event page and there's a link to this on the show notes page for this podcast on the Vegan Business Media website. Food Fight, the vegan grocer in Portland, Oregon, has opened a second location, reports Katu. Owners Emiko Badillo and her husband Chad Miller opened their first store at 21st and Southeast Division Street in 2003 and then moved to Southeast 12 and Stark Street. They share a building with other vegan businesses, Herbivore Clothing, Scapegoat Tattoo, and Sweet Pea Baking Company, earning the place the nickname the Vegan Mini Mall. The second Food Fight opened recently in North East Halsey Street in the up-and-coming Gateway neighbourhood. Like the original store, the new Food Fight will stock a range of popular vegan alternatives, including coconut bacon, haggis, yes there's a thing as vegan haggis, vegan caviar, meatless jerky and sandwiches. So this is great news. I particularly like the quote by Chad about the types of food products they carry. He said, we try to make it seem like less like self-flagellation, self-sacrifice and make it a bunch of fun food. Amen to that. (laughs) I always like to get people to focus on what they're gaining by going vegan rather than seeing it as some form of loss. And it's great to see this vegan business expand. Cork in Ireland is set to get its first vegan bakery, reports the Evening Echo. Miami Vegan Bakery is owned by Sarah Murphy, who's already secured a unit where she plans to offer pop-up restaurant evenings, workshops and music sessions while selling a range of vegan sweet treats. Her doughnuts are already on sale at Oh My Donut every Tuesday through Saturday. Murphy's currently running a fundraiser on GoFundMe to raise money to fit out the unit with a counter and a kitchen. And what's interesting about this story is that the local newspaper has reported on Sarah's plan and even included a link to the fundraiser. Now, media won't always do this, but if it's an interesting and relevant enough angle, they will. Now, in this case, the fact that Sarah's already secured a premises and it will be Cork's first vegan eatery worked in her favour. Finally, an innovative vegan cafe has opened in Ithaca, New York, with a Star Trek theme, reports Veg News. Ten Forward, great name, which opens in late March, will be the permanent premises of popular Star Trek-themed mobile food vendor Star Truck. Another fabulous name. Love it. (laughs) The menu is set to feature comfort foods such as baked goods, banana-based milkshakes, soups and sandwiches, along with local products from Ithaca Tofu and Susie Satan. Owner Tammy Olewski has taken the space of a shuttered cafe above Autumn Leaves Bookstore, where she plans to run game nights and other activities. I love this. I'm a little bit of a Trekkie. I really like Next Generation, Deep Space Nine and Voyager. And this is such a unique point of difference for a business. So let's hope it lives long and prospers. (laughs) I know you probably saw that coming. I couldn't help myself. (laughs) So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate it if you gave it a review and rating on iTunes or any other platform you're listening on. Finally, I encourage you to head over to veganbusinessmedia.com where you can find more resources, including details of my media and PR consultations, copywriting, editing and proofreading services to help you grow your vegan business. I'm Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. And I look forward to catching up with you in the next episode of Vegan Business Talk. Bye for now.